Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our baseball, fantasy baseball content will be posted throughout the rest of the offseason heading into next year as well. We're working on our draft guide. A lot of exciting things going on there. Go follow EthosFantasyBB and check out SportsEthos.com. Now we're wrapping up the week with another team preview. Typically we've done a new set of rankings on Fridays, but we have a very special guest joining the show today to talk some Miami Marlins. Some people call him Sleepy K, but he looks wide awake to me. Mr. Mike Curlin, he's joining us here. You can find his work at The Athletic, at Fantasy Pros, and he's also a co-owner of a fairly new venture that he's going to talk to you about in a second here called Gaining the Edge. Check him out on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. Mike, how you doing today, man? Fantastic. And the intro is great. Joe, you're doing a great job, man. It's uh, it's cool because I remember coming on your show about a, year, a little, not maybe a year ago, but it's been a while. I was on one time and uh, I've seen the growth in just in the intro alone, just because of the comfort there, the comfort, that that confidence, it's showing through, man. Keep it up. I appreciate that, man. You were on one of my favorite episodes that we ever did, actually. It was the live trade deadline show. You were on with Joe Pizapia, uh, David Mendelson, and our buddy, the Welsh all good friends. It was a fantastic panel. First time I got to talk with you, but I know you're a Marlins guy back from that discussion. We talked a little bit about Miguel Cabrera that day from what I can remember and different Marlins talk in general. I shouldn't bring up Miguel Cabrera this early into the conversation, uh, but we are going to talk about the Marlins here. We're going to be picking your brain about everything to do with the Marlins for fantasy baseball in 2023. We're going to go through the lineup, the rotation, and we'll talk some bullpen as well. But before we do get started, Mike, why don't you let us know what exactly did you do in the industry where we can find you, all your work and all that good stuff? Um, okay, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been I've I've found my way through various spots in this industry. It's been a fun ride and I continue to just add to it. It's a lot of it is a lot of fun though. It's a right now you just the main thing is find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland, as you mentioned. Uh I answer questions. I'm on there all the time talking fantasy, but uh the Right now, the Patreon's been a big thing. Patreon.com slash GTE Fantasy. Gaining the Edge is something I joined up with uh, Simeone, SP Streamer, as people might know him. Uh, my co-host on the Basis Loaded Pod, uh, George Montanez and uh, Bubba from Bench with Bubba. Great dudes. A lot of fun. We just came together this all season, started putting it together, and uh, we have a lot of stuff over there on Patreon. We have exclusive ranks. We have uh, some tools I we've been throwing together, some projections. I'm working on uh, auction values and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, we got a whole lot. And that's just to name a few. Obviously, if you if you follow my work, you'll know I do lineup, uh, a lot of lineup analysis. And what that entails um, is like everything from obviously where someone hits a lineup, platoon monitoring, uh, hot stretches, players losing playing time, winning playing time, uh, injury replacements, 
et cetera, et cetera, a lot of stuff. That, that's just to name a bit of it. And I do that for the athletic in spring training. Usually the W the world baseball classic is actually going to cause issues with that. I've learned, but I am coming up with a fun way to a fun way and actually a useful way to kind of maneuver around that and still try to get what we can out of spring training. However, I do lineup analysis like this really in-depth stuff all season long. And that's what I bring to the Patreon exclusively. So um, I do it for the, I do it for the athletic and the Patreon in spring. And then I carry it over exclusively to the Patreon as of, as of right now too. So that's the main draw. That's my main thing. The niche, I should say, that's kind of gotten that, that got me to the athletic in the first place. Uh, Fantasy pros. I'm kind of just helping out as they need. They, they drop a few articles and I pick them up and <laughs> just run with them. Uh, it's a really cool little side gig there. It's a lot of fun. They're good people there too. And uh, I think that's everything. I don't know anymore. <laughs> that's uh, oh, oh, the YouTube. The YouTube's the big one. Uh, I've been putting out uh, ex- exclusive content to YouTube. And when I say my exclusive is uh, not my podcasts, not live streams. It's been like content I make just for YouTube. So for those who are who enjoy YouTube, enjoy videos type of work, I like to think I'm trying to set. I'm actually trying to set a standard. That's my goal when I put out these videos. So uh, YouTube.com/slash at GTE Fantasy, and you can find my YouTube uh, content there. Also, my pinned tweet is my latest video, and I have one I'm actually working on editing right before, uh, probably right. I started before this podcast. I'll probably finish it after we're done, we're done recording. You guys should really okay. check it out. Mike is doing. God's work over there on the YouTube channel. They are fantastic videos, very well edited, not your typical stuff that you'd see from someone like myself. This is <laughs> this is professional stuff. Uh, you guys should take a look at GTE Fantasy on YouTube. Mike and the rest of the guys are doing a great job. I know all those guys except for Jorge, George, uh, however he's, however we're going to refer to him here because we talked before. Uh, a couple different names for him, and I'm sure there's a couple that you wouldn't want to say on stream being a friend of yours. But we're going to have to get him on. We're going to have to get everybody else from GTE back on because it is a great group you guys should really be checking out. Go follow him on Twitter, at Gaining the Edge, and you'll get all the links to the different things there, as well as Mike uh, over on Twitter as well. Now, like I mentioned, we're talking about the Marlins, and I believe when I first sent you the message, Mike, uh, asking you to come and do this, I believe your response was, why do, why do you torture me? Or something along those lines, because the Marlins are an interesting team. They are... I don't, I'm trying to be politically correct here they're okay they're not great they've just made a big trade recently that we're going to talk about they're 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 pretty good let's just get let's just get going we'll start at the top of the lineup Luisa rise is projected to lead off and an interesting thing looking at projections we talked about projections earlier atc has them for the highest wrc plus in this lineup ahead of jazz chisholm ahead of everybody what are your thoughts on the trade in general and Luisa rise's role here now in miami so talking about this trade with uh Arias, I uh, the trade as a whole, I get it. We had to pay up for you know the the batting champ and all that. We didn't need the pitching. Pablo Lopez has his own set of issues in terms of uh, health. So the the trade as a whole, I got it. And the Marlins are attacking in an interesting manner. <laughs> um, we're going more of like the the slap hitter. Let's get let's just hit the ball a ton. And honestly, it's better than nothing. I'm I don't I'm not overly optimistic, but I do like getting players on base ahead of jazz because I think ultimately Arias will set the table. Any power that he might've showed last year is gone. Like, and he was never a power guy, but in Miami, it's definitely going to take a hit. However, Miami, I believe was second in the league with installed bases. So although I don't know if we're going to get that same type of running because new management new it's going to be run differently. It's going to be hard. It's hard to say that we're going to actually get um, that type of level of stolen bases. But if they are going to be aggressive on base paths again, Arias might have some sneaky stolen base potential that we weren't expecting or aren't calculating into his projections this year. 
So we have to see how that goes, but you can't bank on that again because it's just a whole new uh, system and offense and everything. But with all things considered, I think it was a fair trade. We're getting one of the best pure actual hitters in the game. We're talking 95% Z contact, which is just a stupid amount of contact. That's uh, for those who don't know, Z contact is zone contact. So he makes (laughs) 95% of the time he makes contact in the zone. That's just absurd. And this is while like not uh, chasing a ton either. He just has a great, eye at the plate Luis Arias this is um so, and again that's kind of I think he's gonna set the table most games I would uh, he was platooning at times last year but that was with a different team this uh the the I almost call them the Dolphins I don't know football's way over um <laughs> the Marlins for the <laughs> especially for the Dolphins uh the Marlins don't exactly have the depth to platoon him maybe birdie that's what I'm saying but but they need birdie because I think birdie's gonna play two to three games a week anyway, just to keep the other guys healthy in the infield. So all things considered, I think Luis Arias is going to get full run. So that kind of maybe gains some value there, gets a few more plate appearances that he would have than he would have had he stuck with the twins. So ultimately it's a fair trade and Arias makes this team better on offense, but it's still a team I don't expect to have a lot of success given the division in terms of competing, given that division and such, but Arias does make them better technically. Are you looking at the division in general? You think there's any chance for them to, to move up ahead of fourth, or are they firmly in fourth in your eyes? Uh, I think it's it's going to take some. You know what? The Mets. If if any team is going to fall, the Phillies. I don't. That bullpen is going to literally win them a ton of games, but lose them a handful as well. The volatility <laughs> of that bullpen because it's like all high upside strikeout guys and guys who can't hit the strike zone at the same time. <laughs> but uh, the Mets. They just love to get hurt every year and they have aging assets. So that, that would be the only way I, I think the Braves are still on that upward trajectory and they're getting Cunha back. And I was reading last night, Cunha feels like healthy for the first time in two years. That's dangerous. <laughs> like a healthy Acuna can just make that team that much better. Uh, Grissom's coming along at, at shortstop. I know this isn't like, this isn't a Braves podcast, but I've been reading <laughs> a lot about that situation lately. But my point is, is um, there's a lot to like about other teams not named the Marlins in this division. So, yeah, I think it's going to be – I think with the expanded playoffs and all that, there's a chance to sneak into a wild card spot, but it's very, 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 very unlikely. And, uh, yeah, it's the, the pitching is great. But, pitching is great, yeah. But that's it. Like, I don't trust the bullpen. We saw them blow plenty of leads. I don't trust the offense to produce enough to make the pitching matter. And – we, between what we have, Max Max Meyer isn't healthy. He's out with I think he had well, like Tommy John. I believe he had. Uh, I should know this, right? This is my team. Um, you have Sixto Sanchez, who I think is still in the league. <laughs> um, uh, we have uh, we we traded Pablo. Suddenly, this high and some of our younger guys, some of our higher end pitchers in the minors are still a couple years away in terms of like the ones that aren't injured or traded away. So it's one of those things where the Marlins suddenly went from having a really deep arsenal to like now they're they, they have about six i say six solid arms for five spots which is nice to start but edward cabrera and we're gonna get to these guys he has his question marks lazardo so yeah you see my point here is a, a lot it's a long-winded way of saying yeah i'm trying to be i'm trying to build optimism here for this team but it's just the division is just it's too rock solid it's gonna take a lot of bad luck for other teams for the marlins good luck to counteract that you know yeah, I <clears throat> the division is just so hard. I mean, you get the Phillies as the third best team in the division, and they went to the World Series last year. <laughs> it's hard to think that there's going to be much improvement for the Marlins in the standings. Overall, there is some hope for the future. Uh, last thing on a rise, though, 
His draft price, he's going about 215. I'm looking just from January onwards in draft champions. Minimum of 180, maximum about 250. What's your thoughts on a rise? Do you like this range? Are you more on the higher end, lower end? What are, you, what are your thoughts on his draft price? I just don't tend to draft him in general because his skill set isn't something of that I find intriguing or appealing. Even in these formats, because I play NF, NF, NFBC, so I can I'm speaking from experience here that although he will give you you know ton of uh, plate appearances and uh, bat 300 in the process, I and even my projections, my SGP, my my sheet, my 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 draft sheet likes some and grades him out well. I just I don't like betting on a guy that's a pretty much two categories with the batting average and the runs, and that's why. I tend to go a different direction. The the eligibility helps a little bit, but not enough to make a, a dent. And when I usually am not, I'm not usually targeting them there. I'm just not. Yeah. I'm trying again. I'm trying here. I'm trying to build optimism. I just can't because I've never been an Arias guy though. And, but he seems to be rather valuable according to my sheet. I just can't get behind it. That's why I look at the sheet. I use the sheet as a uh, reference point, not a end all be all for when I draft. Yeah. Which is a good policy to have. Use your own noggin, just not what the computer spits out at you. Uh, with a rise, I think the 88 runs from last year probably comes down a little bit in this lineup. It's not going to be the same. Uh, not that the twins are some juggernaut offensively, but I think it'll be a little bit fewer, probably what we're seeing from like ATC about 75. Uh, I think he's fine in this range more so for me in like a 12 teamer because you're getting to the point where it's like the end closer to the end of your draft, you know, between I think a 12 team standard, like Yahoo draft is probably about 260 players picked 270. You're getting to the last few rounds if you need to boost up your batting average, if you took a power-heavy team, I think he makes sense here. But I think it's very build-specific. He's not somebody in a vacuum. I'd say you take at this price. I think that there's, yeah. there's things to like, but there's also the you know if the runs do come down from 88 to 70. Then we're looking at truly a one-category player, and then at that point, you know, it'd be fine for you in points leagues. He never strikes out and gets on base yeah. a lot. But I don't know about your standard five by five roto for Luis Arise. And specifically yeah. in a 15 teamer, you know, 10, no, 12 yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at the other players here, you know, you want to, for reference to see, like, we could do some would you rather. And, you know, Ramon Laureano, terrible team, but at least he has a flashy skill set. He'll give you some yeah. power and speed. You have a, but injury risk. You have Bryson Stott, better team, worse lineup spot, likely to do worse in the counting stats, but give you a little more power speed there as well. And, you know, Gavin Lux, like Josh Jung, a lot of upside and potential could be hitting in the middle of an order. Of a, of, a dot, of a solid order there in Texas, too. Yeah. Um, and we former top prospect. But again, we're talking about guys that won't give you that batting average floor you mentioned. But these are all guys that I'm hoping that I'm not, I'm hoping not to build my team needing an Arias. That way I can take a shot on any of these guys or give me Josh Naylor, who I actually expect to hit for a decent average yeah. while producing some power and albeit on a strong side platoon. But still, strong side platoon isn't as isn't it's not as bad as it used to be just because it's just so common now, yeah. especially as you get into this part of the draft. You'll see a lot of that. Platoon I'll take stuff. so. I'll take Naylor over over a rise. I'm a little worried about Josh Bell and how much that'll impact the at bats overall, but I think mm. I'm still taking him over a rise. You're not worried there? No, because I think they're going to make a point to keep Naylor's bat is really uh, it's a really strong one, and the fact that he's a lefty, it'll keep him on the strong side of a platoon at the very least. Yeah. Um, I, and I think the two of them will man first base slash dh together i think that's what it is i think nail and i think nailer is going to hold down first base more times than not anyway i but i do think that dh and first base will be theirs i do think i just think nailer just ends up in a like it's gonna be a strict uh platoon now compared to him like he played a couple of these here and there last year 
they have enough depth. They have enough depth there now to where they don't need Naylor without a couple without an injury or two, probably. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where Naylor he just loses his play appearances. But if he's you, you should have saw how bad Naylor was last year against lefties. I think it was like a 150 hitter with like a sub 600 OPS. It was it was rough. And if you're taking those bats away, maybe vault maybe it vaults the overall line in terms of like the batting average and uh, pretty much just the batting average because you know the counting stats and all that go down, but. I'll take that. I'll take the. I'll take the swap of. I'll add a little bit of batting average there because again, we're talking about batting average being the main asset for Arias, right? Yeah. If I'm going to get a little bit, a little bit better of a batting average for Naylor, because he's not facing lefties, plus getting more power and more, more RBI, less. It's a different player altogether, obviously at this point. Yeah. I just. But you get my point though. Like if batting average being being kind of what you need here, I'll take Naylor, hoping that he can hit 265, 270, not quite the 300, obviously of an Arias, but good enough to where I'll take the hit. I'll take yeah. the hit at batting average for the other stuff. <laughs> and you're getting at least double the home runs. I'm with you there. Uh, mm-hmm. Always rooting extra hard for those Canadians, especially from my neck of the woods here in Toronto. Uh, big fan <laughs> of both nailers, really. But this, we'll talk about the Guardians a different day. Uh, Gene Segura is supposed to bat second in this lineup here. I'm still a Segura guy. I think in general, he doesn't run like he used to. He's not as good as he quite used to be. But, I mean, he's going to be 33 years old at this point. What are your expectations for Segura this season? I think... Similar to last, if we look at the two years before last year, you'll see that Segura had like an OBP that was more palatable too. He was about 347 or better in 2020 and 2021, which is great, which is what you want from Segura uh, or from anybody hitting in the top two spots, which is why Jazz getting pushed down, which we'll get to him next, obviously, makes a lot of sense here because he's not that OBP guy. But last year we saw Segura have an OBP of 336. Normally that would concern me, but it's the Marlins. They don't really have a ton of options for the top of this lineup unless they really view um, Soler as a top member. Soler was leading off even in spring last year. And for the Braves, you know, that half a season when they won the world series or when he was on them for, on that team for the world series, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Segura is going to probably bat second for, he's probably going to get some good release. And the two, the reason why I mentioned those two years where he had the really strong OBPs was because one of those years Segura had a double digit walk rate and the other year he hit 290. Last year he did neither and we saw the OBP uh, I think it was like 336 from what I'm looking at and he's a career 330 OBP guy. So the two years where he overproduced so to speak on on base percentage were with outlier performances backing it too. So I think last year was kind of what you should expect especially you mentioned he's getting older. I don't and if you look back at the power I think he sells out a little more for it now. That's why the batting average isn't what it used to be for Segura. But I do think even I I should I would expect closer to like 10 ish, 10 to 12 home runs. Just like what we used to see in a Seattle days. He used to be a double digit guy even back then in a bad ballpark. So it's a matter of going back to how much do we think he's going to run? I think it's still going to be 10 plus stolen bases, just closer to 10 than the plus. Uh, it's yeah. just I also how are they going to give him the green light? Because, again, the Marlins were such a run heavy team last year that I would love to see that re- repeat just considering it would help boost these guys values. Segura a lot more interesting just because he gives you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed and where he's going. Plus he's going to gain third base eligibility. So that does add to his appeal in deeper formats where multi-position eligibility can help a player and help teams out as you know, the roster starts uh, dimming down a little bit, so to speak. Um, all things considered, uh, I think he is, I think he is what he sh- what you should expect him to be just kind of that solid, safe, high floor type and, you know you're get you know what you're getting, and that's not a bad thing. It's just just know that just I wouldn't expect him to be the Seguro that we saw in his prime a couple years back. Yeah, they're projecting roughly the same numbers as last year over about 30 more games. So 
a little bit less on the per game side, but at the end of the day, if you're getting 130 games with double digit homers and steals and a 270 batting average from somebody who's eligible, uh, I think he's, does he still have second base? I think he's second and short eligible on the NFC. Uh, you add that in with the incoming, or he's just second base actually, he doesn't have shortstop eligibility, but you get yes, second and third. You get second and third uh, eligibility there out of him. I'm assuming you're in at the draft price at 230. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I would take him over Arias, and right, we're talking about a guy Arias was going right above, right, right in that same range. When you say yeah. 209, 209 or two fifteen, I'm looking at this. I'm I just pull up the ADP too. It's like that two, you know, low two hundreds, and then Segura's going like I don't know, barely around, behind him, about a round yeah, later, maybe, maybe yeah. at that point, it really is preference, and I would, I would, I would take Segura over Arias for reference here. Yeah, I think I would too. You get a little more security in the overall statistics. I mean, there'll be a higher average from Arias. More steals from Segura, home runs probably a wash, but overall, um, well, probably a couple more from Segura actually. But I'm I'm definitely going to be taking him over a rise too, even though he's he's going around later. But the you know ADP is not perfect. That's why you make your own you make your own decisions and you make your own projections, which I should be doing really. I mean, I'm doing rankings, not projections, but I'll have to figure out SGP at some point. I thought SGP was same game parlay until maybe a few months back. So I'm still I'm still getting the hang of things here. Um, I, I I ignored it. I ignored it to my detriment for the last few years, thinking I could beat the projection systems. And I think trying to beat them is the wrong answer. I think trying to befriend them, you know, it's like befriending the robots. You gotta, yeah. you got, I think implementing it in your process is a very, very valuable thing to do. And I was a good player. I, what it was is I was a, I was one of the best players. I was a, I was a shark. I was a big fish in a small pond back when I used to dominate my home leagues. I want, I enjoy the challenge. So I jumped over to NFBC where I, I quickly became the big fish in a small pond to the, you know, the small fish in the ocean. Like I was, a, I went from a, yeah. I went from, I went from a, like a, Oh no, I, I'm really bad with fish. So it doesn't matter. I, I was a goldfish. I was a goldfish in the ocean of sharks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I realized, and I got by the first year. I actually was really successful my first year, maybe two years on NFBC doing DCs. And then the players have gotten better. And then I got worse. And I realized I'm trying to, I, I, and I think it was just a false sense of confidence, a false sense of success that a couple of lucky years or a good solid year to start. On a, maybe it was probably the shortened season. I probably had success on the short year and not and didn't adapt properly. And so it led me down the this. I'm like, all right, cool. I do all this research. I do all this homework. I'm a. I think I'm a good analyst. I think I'm my player analysis is is a strength of mine. Let me pair that with a system that can just you know take it and put numbers behind it. And it made me realize, okay, there are some players I was spot on with, and there's players I'm really off one way or the other. And or at least the the system says I am. So let me re let me recalibrate my my thinking. Let me go back in and see what did I miss. Am I is is my thinking proper and why? And it help. I have to now. I have to justify why I'm above or below a projection system, which I think it does myself value and the consumer value now. So I think yeah. it's helped me on both sides of things. Definitely has helped me as a as a player though. I've noticed it early in my first draft or two since I've implemented it. I've noticed how much more confident and how much more how much better I've been with my decision-making because I have this as kind of like a tiebreaker as a, I'm also better at monitoring my stats within a draft as I'm drafting, I'm plugging it in and I'm getting these, you know, I'm aiming for my 80, 80 and 90 percentiles of like last year's results. And it's not an exact science, but what I'm getting at is it's a long winded way of saying it's really helpful. If you're looking to be a better player and a better analyst, I think it does help because it gives you an idea of what other people might be looking at too, if they incorporate them in their you know process. It's just more information, and it's not just any random information. Yeah. It's it's thought out. You know, it's part of the process, like you're saying. 
lot yeah, of people. I'm not gonna be like, oh, I can't. Be, I'm not gonna be like, oh, I think he's gonna hit 30 home runs. Like anyone yeah. can say that, but 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 like if you're actually getting these results from something that's way smarter than any of us in terms of yeah. like just giving you a, a mean projection, like if you're sitting there saying, oh, I think Abreu's gonna hit 30 home runs because he's going to a new park and all that, it, and the power metrics, like you can argue that. But the realistic outcome is probably mid twenties, and maybe trying to project him for thirty when you're drafting is not a smart idea. Even though you can see a path to thirty, projecting for thirty isn't the answer, I think. And that's where I maybe I think I've messed up in the past. Where oh, I see him; he can hit thirty home runs. Sure, he can, but will he? That's not the likely outcome, and you need to kind of prepare for that. You can't just assume. You can't just round up and round down willy nilly. Is what I'm getting at, and I think I've done that a little bit too much in my uh, when I as a player. And that's why I'm trying to improve as a player. Cause again, my analysis is fine. It's not the analysis. It's not the prep. It's it's not the, well, it was the prep. It's not the analysis. It's not the individual player analysis. Like I could break down a player and get an idea of what I'm getting out of them and project growth and all that, that, that part I feel comfortable with, but putting numbers behind the growth, that part was where I was lacking. And I think I was a little overconfident in my skill set to do that without man, without computer help. That's where I struggle. I think that's where a lot of people struggle is, you know, this guy's going to be better, but how much better, how much worse uh, regression is a real thing. And we have, I have personally am not a math mathematically inclined person. So I rely on other people's projections, which I'm probably going to do for another year or so. And then maybe we'll start oh, messing around with some, I, I take, I take, I, I just, so you know, I take other projections. I just create my own aggregate. And then the only thing I edit, I, and I mentioned this to you and I recommend this to anybody, if you're comfortable doing this, or know someone that you're comfortable following that does this plate appearances and innings pitched. If you just play with those numbers and not for everybody, but like, like there was a call, like I think Miguel Vargas was a guy, for instance, on mine where I took him, he was projected for like a hundred games on like the systems. I was like, no, I'm projecting at least 120. And I felt that I was still being conservative because I still project him to be a starter, but I know the Dodgers are going to Dodger. Um, so Miguel Vargas, I bumped his games, played up to 20, did some math and came up with a, with what I felt was a fair plate appearance difference, which was like 30 plate appearance difference, plugged in the plate appearance difference and got a new set of numbers. Didn't touch the numbers themselves. Didn't say, oh, I think he's getting more stolen bases, more this. I understand his skill set potential, but I also don't want to ignore the numbers. So I take the numbers and understand understand the skill set I'm getting. And the numbers I have now are going to be better based on my projection for, for playing time. So it's already kind of factoring in the that growth that I'm – manually putting on him but now it's giving me a number baseline instead of just like a, oh well i know he's gonna do better or i think he's gonna do better i can kind of put numbers behind my beliefs now so to speak because at the end of the day the plate appearances and inning pitches part that's the only one person we talk about this it's jason martinez giving these numbers out to these guys and adapting them as it goes throughout the offseason etc cetera, etc cetera. so um if you feel comfortable doing that yourself that's where you can get your edge and you can utilize those numbers to benefit yourself a little better we got way off topic. I'm sorry. I just, it's something I feel strong about now because it's something I've been taking. I spent a lot of time this off season really trying to understand and trying to really, really implement it. And I think it's benefiting me and I really just want to put that out there for other people who might be interested. No, it's valuable. It's very valuable information. Cause I know like I, I want to do projections, but at the same time, I would probably do them the way you're talking about like, you know, eh, Vladdy's going to go for 50. I think, I think he, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm feeling 50 this year. Like that's how I would probably do them. So there's definitely a lot for me to learn. And I mean, if you guys want to rewind that, listen to it over again, because what, we're, what Mike was just saying there makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people should be doing that kind of thing. Even if you're not making your own projections necessarily, just looking at a lot of different ones, or even if you are making projections, Tinker with plate appearance numbers, tinker with innings pitched. If you don't think that, you know, whoever Nick Lodolo is going to throw 150 innings this year, because I don't think he is, but the projections do lower them a little bit and then see what you come up with in terms of your counting stats and everything else. But 
like you said, we got off topic here. Let's get back to these Marlins, and we're about to come up on the most interesting name here in the bunch. Maybe the most polarizing, too, for fantasy for me this year is Jazz Chisholm. Uh, I think you could realistically rank him as the number one second baseman for fantasy. Uh, I'm just pulling up my rankings. I forget where I had him now. I had him three. Uh, I had him behind Semyon and Altuve. I think you could realistically put him anywhere in that top four, though. What are your thoughts on on Jazz, especially now with him going to be learning a new position now? So there's give and take there. And with Jazz, I had him at number one. I actually moved him up to number one like a day or two right before the news about the center field thing came out. I haven't moved him off my number one yet. And it's because of this. Uh, I know there's added risk to injury playing center field, obviously, because he's going to play it 110% because Jazz is a gamer. He just is. But I read an article, and this is why articles are important. Jazz wants center field. It wasn't something that they were like, hey, you're doing this, or hey, do you mind? It was Jazz, you know, put it out there, and they took him up on it. And Jazz also was like, well, now I'm good. I'm going to, my goal is to be the best center fielder in baseball. And obviously, that's a lofty goal and expectation, but that just goes to show you the type of gamer, type of work ethic, and the type of player Jazz is going to be. Jazz is, I should say. Um, and I, so having that mindset, attacking it as a want more than a, because, you know, most players, when they get a new position, they are being more so pushed into it. Like, like Andrew Vaughn was Andrew pushed Vaughn. into the outfield. Yeah, Zach's player I had my head. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he was the most recent, like big name prospect to be like randomly pushed into a position that he had no yeah. business playing. Um, and there was talks about him getting moved to second base and like that type of thing can mess with a young player. But when a player actively seeks out and gets given the opportunity to do something that he wants to do, that changes it. Cause it's not a negative in my mind, in my mind anymore. I see it as like a, okay, well he wants it. Maybe he can succeed doing it. Right. So I'm not dinging him for learning a new position. I, and I also think his offensive skill set, ch- Chisholm that is, I think his offensive skill set is strong enough to overcome the uh, usual struggles we see with a player learning a new position. But again, a lot of it is mental and he mentally wants to be out there. So I'm not I'm not downing him in my, in my rankings. The reason why if I'm going to down him, it's the fact that we talked about, I just mentioned the increased risk for injury in center field. Just the fact that there's Walt, he has to learn how to play a new position. He's going to be playing it aggressive. He's 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 he has a higher chance of injuring those fast twitch muscles, the the groin, the hamstring, the calf. There's walls out there. He's not used to running around and you know having to avoid. Um, and we all and you know you know look at Eloy. He can't avoid a wall either. So it's just one of those things where you have a player that has to learn a whole new position, dimensions of a field, etc. It's 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 a thing. It's so I get that. That's the added injury risk there. So if he's not your number one, I totally understand. But when it comes to a guy that can return 30-30, very select few players can do that, and Jazz is one of them. And now you're putting him in a place where he should be hitting third in the order. If you look at his numbers with runners in scoring position, men on men on base or men in scoring position, according to fan graphs, it was he he hit nine fifty. He has a career nine fifty one OPS with a two ninety six ISO, which just tells you the power is like ridiculous. For people who don't know what ISO is, it's you know isolated power. It's 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 a good thing. It's it's a really good number. Um, Woba is three ninety five, which is a you know all around indicator of hitting, and then WRC plus. Weighted runs created plus 100 is league average. He had 154 in with men on scoring position. So you're getting Jazz in a spot where he's going to have runners on, especially guys like Segura and Arias. They should get on and definitely be on second base by the time he gets up more times than not, I would think. Um, if not, double play it out. Thanks, Segura. I don't know. I'm just being negative again because it's the Marlins. But you have to be mindful of the lefty splits, career 661 OPS, and a 78 WRC plus for Chisholm. So maybe he still platoons or doesn't get you know maybe he sits against tough lefties but he's so young to say he can't hit lefties yet is a little premature in my opinion all things considered 
there's a lot of risk here. You have to be willing to take the risk. And if I'm taking the risk with Jazz, which I have in a few drafts already, it's either going to be a shallower league or he's my only risk in the first 10 rounds type of thing. I'm going to sec- I'm going to set him up with such a secure foundation that he is my one risk. And if he flops, I'm going to have to just it's going to be it's, it's really hard to replace that, but it's doable. At least at least it's easier to replace one spot versus two or three risks in that first 10 rounds. You know what I mean? So that's how I'm looking at him. Like if I'm taking him, I'm not taking him and Eloy. I'm not taking him and the insert who the Grom, Trout, Grom, yeah, a- any any injury potentially. Uh, and don't get me wrong, injury. We have we think we're better at predicting injury than we are. It's just that we there are there's just players you know haven't played a full season in X amount of seasons or have been dealing with injuries, whatever. So those are the guys I would avoid. Luis Robert, uh, you mentioned Trout, Degrom, great names. I would build uh, I would build players around Jazz that are very very safe and secure 99% of the time. That way I limit that added risk that Jazz already brings to the table. That's how I would build around Jazz personally. But he is somebody I'm willing to build around because even at 130 games my my sheet spits him out as the top. I think it was 130 games played. That's all he needs to be the top for, uh, second baseman with my sheet. And that's with the other guys behind him playing more games. So yeah. it, it that's the thing about these sheets too. They build in, they build, they they build in injury uh, risk in terms of like knocking out games and plate appearances and stuff like that based on that. So that's built into the projection that I get spit out for him, and he's still projected to be my number one second baseman. And because I already had him there before I implemented the projections, I have a hard time moving him off, even though there's a bunch of red flags. <laughs> there are, but I mean, like you said earlier, there's nobody else, especially at second base. I mean, there are a couple other players, Acuna, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, who have 30-30 upside, but at second base, not really. I like the price at 46. You know, you get him in the beginning of the fourth round of a 15-teamer. I think that is very reasonable. The only reason I have him third is because I just feel like there is a lot more safety. There's a higher floor with Marcus Simeon and Jose Altuve. Um, it's not a yeah. big gap for me. I have Altuve one. I have Semyon two. It's not a big gap, but I feel a little bit safer with those guys. I mean, Altuve is going the same price. Semyon, because Semyon is going like 12, 13 picks ahead of him, I don't know. Maybe that would make me want to take Jazz first, but I just feel like there is there is still some volatility there. And I don't think that he's injury prone. I know there's some people who are saying, oh, I don't want to take Jazz because you know he may be injury prone or whatever. I mean, he's 20, just turned 25 years old. Uh, you know, he's had an injury injury plague season last year but i don't think that that is who he is yet we really don't know who he is yet and he could be a 30 30 player every season we saw over 60 games last year 14 homers 12 steals yeah projected <laughs> a, a pro rate that over a whole season or talking, just double it just double it because double it yeah it's 120 games like whatever like yeah he's 28 and 24 yeah now could he be like tim anderson where he always had those numbers but never played a full season because he can't stay healthy maybe possible <laughs> that's a, that's the possible but that's the thing so again it's all about mitigating risk if he's and he won't be that's why ranking him third or taking him off your off your board that is okay you're, you're that's not unheard of and people are going to be completely out on him because of a lot of the red flags you mentioned the splits and the new position and the injury potential for being injury prone uh but jazz is just he's polarizing and you got to build around that i th- i think he's worth taking a risk i must he's not a guy i'm having on every team um he's not like there is no such thing as a must draft guy on every team for me by the way in the early rounds i like to i like to diversify but he is a guy that i'd be willing to say if i draft 10 leagues 40 percent, I, I wouldn't have a problem putting him on four teams and that's that's a heavy i'd say it's a heavy investment no, so it is. that's but that but that's still 
that, that that's that's still um the most i would go as much as i like him just because i understand that it's risky but he is a guy who could be like you're talking about that third rounder that could just be a first round pick it's him a third or fourth round guy that could be a first round pick next year easily jazz yeah especially if he's in the fourth round still and if you're talking a 12 team draft you maybe get him in the fifth like i i really like the value of taking him there just his birthday actually a couple of days ago happy birthday yeah. jazz i and doubt I'm, you're I'm i doubt you're listening but I'm, you got I'm, the <laughs> drill, drill your mama shirt from him too wearing it it just happened to be wearing it today I forgot I even I was like oh yeah perfect for the podcast I should have done a live stream I keep saying I'm going to do live streams there will be stuff on our on our YouTube channel uh live mock drafts and stuff I promise uh but as of right now this will just be on audio but he does have the the lovely jazz chisholm <laughs> shirt on here that's the top third of the order that's definitely the sexy part of the order here as we enter into Garrett Cooper who I like Garrett Cooper I like him fine I believe he was actually an all-star last year if memory serves. I try and black out the all-star game for my for my memory because it's just unpleasant really in baseball but I believe he did sneak in as an injury replacement uh wasn't the greatest year but overall I mean the projections are pretty good for him he's going to give you a decent batting average most likely uh ATC has him for 13 dingers 259 average over 117 games. And they're actually the low man on the projection there. What are your thoughts on Garrett Cooper? Or would you take him as your first baseman? I'm guessing probably not in your starting first baseman, but what are your, what are your thoughts on him in general this year for fantasy? I like him a lot because of the, uh, the cost. He's a reserve round pick for the deepest of leagues. He's going outside the top 400. So that's a big reason to like him. You don't have to invest in him this year compared to like last year. I think where he was, you were, you were drafting him as like a corner infielder in 15s. I believe this year, I mean, at least when I'm looking at right now, a, a low pick since January 1st, a low pick of 365, a high of 491. And I think you're getting such a solid floor production there for, for that price. There's it's little risk and the reward isn't crazy, but the playing time is there. We know he has decent power potential. It's just um, he can't stay healthy. He played a career high 119 last year. So if that's, I expect him to be kind of like Aguilar was last year, where Jesus Aguilar was playing like four to five games a week, DHing a lot. I'm expecting a lot of that for Garrett Cooper too, just that, you know, maintenance stays off and it's, he'll, he'll have hot stretches and be useful at times, but he's very boring and the upside is very limited. I just think he kind of is what he is. And I think the price makes sense. If you're looking again, depending on your format, if you're playing in formats that draft this deep of a, of a, of a league, he's a great guy to have on your bench because he will be useful and he's going to have uh, weeks, if not even a month or so of being relevant and you can plug him in and injuries are going to happen. And he's that type of guy that if he's not the one that's injured, <laughs> he'll be able to be a useful injury replacement. So yeah, uh, does, I like him. He doesn't he's really hurt you anywhere. He doesn't really hurt no. you anywhere though. I mean, stolen bases are going to be a zero, but if he's given you like, you know, the last three seasons, granted we're talking 107, 34 and 71 games before 2022 it was 281, 283, 284 batting averages for his career. He's a 274 hitter. So he is a relative plus in that. And I mean, especially the way the batting averages across the league at 230 or 220 or whatever it's, whatever it's sunk to that's a positive in batting average with okay pop. And he's projected for about 110 runs and RBIs put together. It's not great, but I mean, if you're like we're talking about, he's going off the board here past pick 400. Decent backup first baseman, one that I wish I had taken in my DC. Thinking about it now, because I am I'm screwed in one of my DCs. I have Christian Walker, and then I got nothing else until like round 45. I should have taken Garrett Cooper because he makes a lot of sense. I pushed him up my rankings higher than where he's going by ADP. I had him as my 29th first baseman. He's going as the 40th first baseman off the board. I guess I am bigger on him than the market. I think that there is potential for him. Like you said, even if it's just injury replacement stuff where he ends up having more of a role than we expect, 
as long as he's healthy, he should be producing. So, uh, you know, give me those 120-odd projected games, even though, funny enough, that's more than he's ever actually played. Uh, the projections have him having a career high pretty much across yeah. the board. But I'll take it. I'll take that chance past pick 400. He's not a shallow league target by any means, but as a backup first baseman in the D.C., I'll take I'll take a lot of Gary Cooper. No problem. Um, let's move on now. And, I mean, this lineup – is really not deep. Even once we get past Jazz, it's not really that deep. Avisel Garcia is somebody I want to be in on. He's projected about fifth. I saw someone tweet out earlier today, Ryan Venancio or somebody, uh, swinging strike rate, and he was like second worst in baseball. He swings and misses about as much as anybody else in the game, about 20%. As much as I want to be in on him, I don't think that I can buy in at a bit of a discount this year. What are your thoughts on Avisel Garcia for 2023? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you, that's kind of what I expect. He had this weird dip, a uh, weird spike in K rate. He's always been a rather aggressive swinger. So I'm not overly surprised that the strikeouts caught up to him as, now that he's gone into his 30s. You know, he's going to be 32, probably clo- close to 32 by the time season starts. Not old, but, you know, as a player that's a little more aggressive ages, the play approach tends to age poorly. Uh, power and speed is still going to be a skill set of his. I did hear that, like, I think last year he even mentioned, excuse me, I think last year that Avisel Garcia mentioned that uh, he was out of shape and plans to be in better shape this year, and that could play a part. And if you look at it, there's like a weird odd year obvi thing going on here. 2017, WRC plus of 138, 2019, 113, 2021, 116. And if you look in between, 92, 83, and 66. It's odd year, obvious season. <laughs> that's like that's the most non like analytical answer I can ever give somebody because I feel like it's just a random trend that I picked up on. I'm like, you know what? This is gonna be a thing, <laughs> and and if he bounces back, technically it's a thing. Um, only the bad X has him for over a w- hundred WRC plus. So we'll see. I think that I think it's fair to expect him to be decent, and his price is pal- palatable. Not somebody I go out of my way to draft, but I mean. Look who's going around him. I'd rather have Garcia over Marcelo Zuna. I'd rather have Garcia over um, I'm trying to, uh, Juan Yepes because with the uncertainty yeah, in his sure. role. Alex Kurloff, are is the are the wrists finally healthy? I, I who knows. You see, so it's like where he's going. It's it's not somebody I'll make sure I get on every team, but like maybe Edward Olivares is finally the first name going after him. That probably because we haven't seen him bump up yet after the trade, but uh. Alvarez is a guy that I would take over him, but that's about But he's in that range where I think it's appropriate just because the playing time is going to be there and the power speed is still going to be there, even though a swing and miss can be ugly. And there is a squeeze in that outfield. So maybe Garcia gets squeezed if he can't turn it around. That's another thing to consider. Yeah, he's definitely a five outfielder guy for me. Uh, not really so much in your three outfielder formats. Uh, maybe, maybe no, pushing no, no. the back end of it. But... Say he would be more of a. I'm, I'm talking five outfield leagues right now. I'll be uh, he's going around to pick 300 or after. Uh, that's more of your fifth outfield leagues. Uh, he'd be more of a watch list guy in shallower formats. Not yeah, somebody I'm going out of my way to draft in uh, shallower formats. I was gonna say maybe like last round, last pick kind of thing. But even where he's going, it might be. I mean, the ADPs will be different on different sites. Maybe he is going late 200s on Yahoo or whatever. Um, but I just can't really get behind it. You mentioned Ozuna earlier. I think I might rather take Ozuna just because of the lineup context. As much as he is, is a piece of shit, Marcelo Ozuna, not a fan. I, would I, probably... I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I ignore the my, my personal bias gets ignored for fantasy purposes. I've been I, really. I don't. I, I leave it out. 
I but tried in to. general. I think he's just also a shitty player. Like regardless of <laughs> regardless if he's a piece of crap, but he, don't get me wrong. I have no problem telling somebody, hey, that person's a piece of crap. But when it comes to fantasy, it's still a game we're playing. Yeah. And I don't like to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can think someone's a piece of crap and still put their. I mean, for years, Rollis Chapman wasn't a good person, but people drafted him no problem. Yeah. So it's really funny. It's really funny when you see pick it. We pick we pick and choose. It feels like as an industry who that's like, like it's okay to talk about who it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's a whole other discussion. Now we're getting into political stuff. It's, fr- <laughs> it's, fr- it's frustrating. It's like, there's, there's little consistencies is what I'm getting at in terms of like how we, how we go about this stuff. But anyway, my fault well, leading us down this rabbit hole. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, I, I'll get somehow I'll get clipped and canceled for this. It's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> um, well, cause it'll, it's, it'll be it's, my it's, fault. It'll be my fault. <laughs> it's okay though. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, it's, it's, it's frustrating. We have, it's almost like, again, it's just, it's just an industry thing. It's, it's, it's like, it's weird. It's weirdly selective that we cancel players at, at, for certain runs of time. And then suddenly it's okay to accept them back into our lives. It's a, we, again, it's just weird. I'm not saying it's a pro, it's not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying it's just, just, it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Um. <laughs> anyway. Uh. But yeah, uh, I think he's just a bad player in general too. Not beyond like I said, bad person, bad player. I don't think he, I think his best days are behind him. Ozuna that is. And, uh, I just have no interest. Even I don't think he's going to play full time for that team. We saw him lose out playing time last year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was not good last year. I just think no. like overall lineup context, maybe I'd take him, but honestly, I, I don't know. It's it's not how about we just don't take any of them. <laughs> yeah, how about we just avoid it altogether like the plague? I'm good with that. Uh Jorge Soler projected a bad six in this lineup. The fangraphs uh depth chart projections. I'm not really sure how those work exactly. I think it's probably just to do with the playing time projections. I'm not really sure, but twenty six home runs he's expected to hit. What are your thoughts on Soler? Are you drafting him anywhere? If I'm desperate for power late, because he's all, another guy, just again, all these guys are going late. So it's all about team context, uh, format, what you need. But I want to believe that, like, I mean, even last year, 306 plate appearances, 13 home runs. You double that, he's pretty much on pace for what, what he did in 2021. So Solaire hitting close to 30 home runs, very, and these projections seem very fair. 230s batting. I feel like that's what you can kind of expect. And you're getting so late that it's okay to just take that and, like if you can build it into your team, great. If not, don't like he's just that. That's just what he is. He's power first batting average and everything else is going to lag behind. He'll be decent for RBI, but yeah, he is what he is. I feel like he is what he is. And uh, if, if he, anything else is a plus, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's going just inside the top 300. Would you take him or Garcia? Probably Garcia for the speed aspect. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, unless I really, unless I really needed power. If I was like hurting, like oh my god, I really messed up. I really need power production and potential. Then yeah, Solaire would be that guy. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd agree there. In terms of the rest of this lineup here, the projected lineup: Joey Wendell, <laughs> Brian De La Cruz. Anybody interesting to you? I know John Birdie's projected to be on the bench, but his draft price—it's been coming down. Uh, but he's still going inside the top three hundred picks. Are you have any interest in any of these guys? Birdie's. I, I already I gave my. Uh, anticipation on his playing time and it's, i think there's a clear path to playing time because all it's going to take is one injury in the infield and he's full time again i just think that his skill set is so crap that like other than you know like he's a rabbit you know he's what he's an old school rabbit we used to like we used to draft billy hamilton to be these guys you know what i mean like that's his skill set he has some batting average upside but he's not going to do anything else besides so bases and hit for a decent average so birdie's not a guy i have any interest in because i'd rather not have to build around that type of player uh dela cruz is interesting he had that really strong september like a huge month of september 
Um, I have it written down here somewhere. 94 play appearances, six home runs, uh, 329 ISO, a triple slash of 388, 419, 718 with a with a 215 WRC plus, 17% barrel rate, and almost a 53% hard hit rate. Huge month of September. Lowest ground ball rate and highest pull rate of the year. So there was even like a a change in his approach during that time. I say all that just to be like, yeah, well, he also played in the Dominican Winter League and had like a sub-700 OPS against way more inferior competition compared to Major League Baseball competition. So why didn't that carry over into – why couldn't that production carry over into a league that had less competition, I would think, as on the whole, on the whole, I should say, uh, is what has me thinking that we can't just buy into – that's why you don't buy into small samples <laughs> wholeheartedly. Now, you can – obviously, again, that was another small sample – considering it was an off-season league, blah, blah, blah. But it's just something to think about. Like, if you're looking at tiebreakers, maybe that that OPS in a lesser league after finishing strong changes your opinion on him versus somebody else. But maybe let other people take the shot on him. Because are they really – if he starts off slow, are they really going to hold him back? Are they really going to hold back Jesus Sanchez if to see what they have there still? Sanchez is still around, and Sanchez is going a lot, lot farther down in drafts. And he's a lefty, and that team, if you look at that team, kind of lacks, besides Wendell, lacks a lefty in the bottom, in the middle to bottom half of that lineup. So if Sanchez can be what they expected him to be entering last year or close to it, wouldn't it be, it would probably be De La Cruz that ends up losing that playing time for him, or they can platoon. Um, I'm not touching De La Cruz the more I look into him. I was in initially, and I'm like, nah, I'm going to kind of just let other people deal with him. And Wendell, we'll just talk about him real quick. Deepest formats, he has that eligibility. And he's playing his playing his playing time. He can steal bases. He stole some last year. He can hit for okay average. He's it's kind of like the Marlins. Are, the Marlins are filled with these players of just like decent hitters who can steal. Um, he's just like he's just not great otherwise. So I'm not really interested in him either. But Sanchez, from a price perspective and upside potential and power late because power is an issue hard to come by. He's not a bad bench piece slash watch list guy because he's going so late. You don't need to draft him in shallower formats. And in deeper formats, he's a reserve round pick in the 400s, like 450s plus. I think most of this team, I mean, once you get past Jazz, you're talking about bench options, deeper league options. Some you know, upside. And that's yeah, about it. Maybe a CI or an MI or your fifth outfielder. But it's pretty much Arias, Segura, and Jazz for fantasy. Jazz is the most attractive fa- uh, fantasy asset in the lineup. But I don't think there's much deny. Well, I mean, with Jazz getting the MLB the show cover, he's gonna get more. He's gonna get more publicity because of that. But I think Sandy Alcantara, still probably the most well-known member of this rotation. He accepted his his Cy Young award the other day. Him and Verlander, and it seems like they had typos on them. I don't know if you saw that. It was pretty funny. They they spelled valuable wrong or something. I don't. I didn't follow it too closely, but it doesn't shock me. Some some kind of screw up like that. But Sandy Alcantara. He's going pretty much end of round two, beginning of round three. His ADP is 30.9 over the last 32 drafts. Essentially, you know, beginning of round three. Are you in on Alcantara or are we too worried about how he's so volume-based? If there's an injury, then you don't have that per-inning production like you would with a DeGrom, say. Like, are you worried that he needs to throw 200 innings to have value or are you good with him kind of regardless? I think I'm, I'm good with the price because... He, I would argue, he has probably the highest floor in fantasy when it comes to pitching. Like just the highest floor. Like you know what you're, you know what you're getting when all the things go right. But because you are drafting him at his ceiling, you mentioned it. One blister, one stupid injury, not even a legit one. One stupid one that keeps him out for a couple turns, 
and suddenly he's already losing value and not not likely to even not likely to come close to where you're drafting him. You know what I mean? So um, that keep, that keeps me off of him at his cost. Not because I don't think he's super he's uber talented. I think he's a great pitcher. And I think if you if you're in on Sandy again, you're paying for safety. His level that floor is second to none, and. I'm okay with, I understand paying for that. I'm okay paying for that. I just don't, I'm just not paying for that this year. I'm willing to let other people draft them. And I'm taking guys that I think are going to, that can be better per game that I trust, even with, even if they miss some time to be on a similar path. And I, I don't think Sandy, it's, it's hard to bank on Sandy repeating so many innings. It's just, it's, and if he doesn't, then he turns into a, like if he, like I said, if he even has a blister, slips in the dugout, something so dumb that things we've seen pitchers actually do slip yeah. on like the mats in the dugout and hurt themselves and just stupid things. Now he turns into um, uh, Urias, you know, because Urias is a similar type of pitcher where the wins carry Urias. He gets like 20 wins a year because he played pitches for the Dodgers. Yeah. But Sandy doesn't have that same luxury of pitching for a top team. So if he misses a few starts, he doesn't get those extra wins to boost his value. You need that volume, and I don't like betting. Uh, I don't like putting my eggs in the, to a volume basket in the early rounds. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I had this conversation with with Simeon when he was on a couple months ago about would you rather have I think it was a hundred Degrom innings or one hundred and eighty Sandy innings, and I think I'm taking the Degrom innings. Like it's close. Give me give, give me one twenty at least because my 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 thinking with the with one hundred of Degrom is. Are you starting him his first start back off of rehab? Are you st- and are and then you're losing him? You're getting a couple innings, maybe he gets blown up because he was injured that one last start. So yeah. it's like you're you're not getting all 100. You know that's why that's my thinking. Give me like 130 to Grom. I, that's but now I'm getting super into. It. I know what you're trying. I know you're, the point you're trying to make. But now I'm over here like, taking it and breaking down. Like well, technically, I'm that I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I, I was just that guy. That 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 hurt. But I. <laughs> I can't get behind it. If the strikeouts were a little bit better, I could do it. He's mm-hmm. projected to have like a sub nine K per nine. And I don't even like looking at K per nine really, but it's, it stands out to yeah. you. And it's projected to be lower than Lazardo and Rogers and Edward Cabrera. And in line with Braxton Garrett, like, okay, he's going to have a better K rate than Johnny Cueto in that rotation, but that's oh, about gosh. it. I mean, <laughs> that's another thing. Johnny Cueto, we'll talk about him in a second. He is number two on the fan graphs um, depth chart here for, for starting pitchers can't see him being the number two ahead of Lozardo Cabrera Rogers even Braxton Garrett for Christ's sakes but what what are your thoughts here once we get past Alcantara I mean I doubt it'll be Cueto getting the, the ball the second day of the year but in general I mean Trevor Rogers underperformed Cueto way overperformed Lozardo was kind of a mixed bag and Edward Cabrera was good but also probably overperformed a little bit what, what are your thoughts in general once we get past uh, the Cy Young winner so Let's get Quato out of the way. There's nothing to hear for fantasy wise. He's outside, <laughs> outside, outside of drafting holds. Because again, if you throw innings, you could be useful. You know, Quato will have a decent two step here and there. Blah blah blah. But let's be honest. Let's let's you know, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's a duck. And Quato, <laughs> as fun as he is to watch pitch because of all his little antics, he's not fantasy relevant. So, but I do think he's going to pitch probably the second most innings on this team just because he can. Um, we have Lazardo. You know, missed time last year to injury. You have Edward Cabrera missed time last year to injury. Both of them bounced back, had strong finishes to the year. Lozardo, eight of his final nine starts went six plus innings. So Lozardo obviously showed he can handle the volume down the stretch. Great. I do want to see the volume, the, the volume, the velo for Lozardo because when he came back, it was a little lower than when he left, and then he d- it did ramp up. 
but it never quite returned to where it started last year. And was that by design or was that because the injury lingered or was it just he needed to get healthy? It's to be determined. He still found success. I'm not worried. It's just one of those things worth mentioning. Um, With Cabrera, he has such a pitch mix that I feel like he's just going to He'll figure it out. He has the, and you know, and Lazardo also has four pitches. Uh, Cabrera, I believe, has five. And the Cabrera actually has decent chase rates on his pitches. The issue is, was the swing and miss. Like he wasn't inducing zone swinging strikes. And you saw the walk rate kind of be an issue. So he did struggle with walks. Um, maybe cha- trying to chase those strikeouts. He was the reason why the walks were an issue. Maybe he needs to attack the zone more. Young pitcher. Good stuff. And I think you bet on that with this type of team because the Marlins are actually good at developing pitchers. So Cabrera's a guy I really like. I like the Cabrera and I like Lazar. I like both of them at cost this year for upside alone. If you build the right rotation around them, I think um, it's it comes down to the Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett combo. I think Rogers will get the first shot at that rotation spot because we saw him improve in the second half. Rogers in the second half changes pitch mix, uh, throwing more four seamers and change ups, less sliders. The good was, uh, 3.72 FIP, 2.75 XFIP, 3.3, uh, 3.03 Sierra with a 22.7% K minus walk rate. That K minus walk rate was like 10% better. I think it was like 10% or more better than the first half. We saw him get right in the second half under the hood. The production itself didn't show that necessarily. And a lot of it was because he had a sub sub, he had a 66.9% uh, strand rate, a 356 bad and a 20% home run to fly ball rate. So he allowed too much hard contact and got obliterated when he did get hit. That was the issue. But the underlying numbers showed that he really was starting to correct things. So I want to bet on Rogers writing the ship. We saw, we've seen success in the past for him and we saw him getting going in the second half, just again, some bad luck prepared with some some hard contact um braxton garrett though just kind of you mentioned it kind of vanilla kind of bland not exciting not gonna be the he's he's gonna have fantasy he's gonna have relevance because first off a he could just beat rogers out for that last spot i'm just i think rogers gets the first shot but i could be wrong second even if he doesn't i mentioned everyone on this team has injury issues in history just last year um easily probably gets in there just not even that just the Cabrera and Lazardo are probably gonna have innings limits anyway both of them I think barely threw 100 innings last year maybe like 110 ish so they're both gonna be limited in innings I don't think that neither one of them are gonna hit over 150 more much over 150 150 160 range probably for those guys that's where you're gonna have Braxton Garrett coming in probably still throwing plenty of innings too so I think although it's a five-man rotation I think Garrett's gonna be uh have relevance at times but you're gonna, but you can probably pick him up off the waiver wire or just stream him whenever he does get those spot starts slash two start weeks. But yeah, overall, this team there's lots of light like on the pitching side, a lot of upside, and I think there's room for all of them to uh, succeed and you know be useful in fantasy. It's just a matter of uh, if they can capitalize on that upside. Yeah, I'm just looking at the projected starts. Um, Cueto 24, Garrett 18, Cabrera 24, Trevor Rogers 24. I'm not really sure how they come to these projections exactly, <laughs> ATC, because they have Trevor Rogers making five relief appearances this year. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that works out or how that would. I mean, Braxton Garrett, I could see him coming out in relief maybe. Uh, they project him to come in relief 15 times. I'm not sure how it breaks down exactly, but I think there is, like you said, there is some value to, on a lot of it is because the draft price for a lot of these guys is really cheap. Edward Cabrera is going past pick 200. Uh, at 220 right now, Trevor Rogers 242. 
Uh, there is some value there. Lazardo's more expensive at 141, but I think he's probably earned it. Braxton Garrett at 370. Like, there is value. Okay, maybe not Johnny Cueto. I wouldn't want to be taking him necessarily, but even in a DC, you know, at 482, there is value all over the board. And uh, you might have heard this. I forget who said it. It might have been Eric Cross, actually. And I think you know, you would know it if it was Eric who said it, um, that Cabrera could be this year's Dylan Cease. Is that um, asking that too sounds, much? That sounds like an Eric comment, but, um, <laughs> Just and um, because Eric can be t- uh, first of all, I love I love Eric Cross. Uh, there's no I don't want to get that mixed up. I will also tell Eric anything I say to his, anything I say behind his back, I'll say to his face. I love the guy, <laughs> but um, I do think he is he does sometimes put lofty expectations on players. I think it's not fair to say that. I understand where he's coming from. If that was him, I don't even know if it I, was Eric. It might have been. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it is because I'm trying to tell Eric that he sucks. No, but um, <laughs> I love Eric. Uh, no, um, I think it's not fair to put that type of. I, I see what he, I think what he's trying to say and what comes off are two different things. I think he, I, I get what he's saying. Uh, Eric Cabrera though has the type of potential and the skill set to make that type of jump. Yes, I don't know if I can bank on it because I feel like we it's not like one tweak away. I feel like he's he has to I think there's a couple tweaks away. I think we could be a like one I think 2024 could be the year he makes that full jump. I think there is a jump to be made this year for Cabrera. I think he will make it. I just don't see it being that extreme yet. Yeah, it would be Pretty extreme. I mean, I like him, but he did overperform his pitching indicators by like a full run. That's another uh, thing too, yeah. Yeah, the walk rate is still a huge problem. Um, but, I mean, 24 years old, there's still a long way to go. I don't love the projections, which are about a four plus roughly ERA. Um, but we didn't really expect Cease to break out the way he did either. I think people were kind of lower on Cease from what I can remember last year. Certain people are like, I can't remember exactly now who was in and who was out. And forgive me, Eric, if you're listening, because I know you listen here and there. If you didn't say that, uh, apologies uh, for slandering you. But I think there is a chance that Cabrera could do that. If he trims the walk rate a little bit, he's already got that speed, the strikeout rate. If it returns to what we saw in the minors, I don't think it's a crazy comp, but I think it's something that maybe you look out for, especially, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I try to focus a lot of content on shallower leagues because I think a lot of it is NFBC, 15 team, five outfielder based when how many people are really playing in the NFBC? Not nearly as many as play on Yahoo or ESPN no. or CBS. So and I'm guilty like- of it too, man. I think a lot of it is based on what I play, though. It's almost like your yeah. personal biases come in. Plus, I, I try. I feel like a lot of my information, a lot of the content I do these days, I try to be. I've niched down and I try to cover the deepest of names because the, most players don't need those names. But when they finally pop up, or if those names do become relevant, you've heard of them. That's kind of my goal anyway for a lot of these players. But I've, I also understand that we do a really bad job for the most part as an industry. A lot of our, us bigger names do a bad job of forgetting, you know, the average player isn't playing in the leagues that we're talking about these, some of these players and like just have, have these leagues that have people listening probably won't ever r- roster or even think about rostering Braxton Garrett this year, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not even that he's an obscure name. He's just not good enough to crack most rosters, even on a two-start week. Um, yeah, and I feel like fair. we, I feel like that gets lost, unfortunately. And I, it, it's our own faults. A lot of it's just because we play in these leagues that we need to know this information that 90% of leagues don't need to know. And I th- yeah. and we get attached to these players that 90% of leagues don't care about because we found these players. Like I love Jake Alou. I'll take that to the grave this year. And the people are like, who is that? I didn't know who it was until I looked into the, the nationals this year. And Jake Alou's a guy that I'm drafting in the 50th round and like round pick 750. Yeah. No one needs that, that, that in depth of a player, but that's a guy that's like, I'm talking about on podcasts and people, and who's that really helping the 1%. 
I, I I'm guilty. I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody else of uh, an over analysis and uh, going deeper than necessary and not helping out the you know the vast majority of people with that with I, that information. I'm guilty of it too, especially in the off season because that's all that you really have to go off of. You got the NFBC ADP. <laughs> And you're uh-huh. looking at 15 team draft and holds for the most part. I know they experiment around with gladiators and OCs, and there's different things that are happening. But most people are probably not playing in those leagues. They're waiting for their ESPN league to open back up, or CBS, or Fantrax, or and Yahoo, that, or whatever it is. That's the other issue, though. It's uh, these baseball isn't treated like football. So football is already drafting. Like there's places already opening up drafts for football. Um, like mainstream places, you know. Meanwhile. We can't get the mainstream places to even host a podcast for baseball anymore, like ESPN, like Yahoo, these places that actually have platforms for the sport. And ESPN even dropped their, they made their teams, they made their baseball teams, uh, their fantasy baseball teams mimic real life baseball teams. So now they they don't even have as deep, their rosters have got cut. So now we're talking about players. They might not even be drafting Edward Cabrera in these leagues. And it's, it's not, it's not. And that's there's no shame in that. It's just frustrating. It's like, how shallow do we go? Like in those leagues, you only need to know about 200 players. <laughs> like, I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating, I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. Like, not, it's, not by much though. <clears throat> not by no. much. Like a 12 team league, you draft 270 players. A 10 team league, a 220 or whatever it is, like 230. It's it's not a lot deeper than about 200 picks in. Like you're talking a lot of guys who won't be drafted. Like maybe Jose Barrios, you know probably yeah. maybe won't be drafted in a lot of those 10, 12 team leagues just simply because, Oh, I mean, 12 teamers, he will, but 10 teamers, I'm just looking around pick 200 and guys who might not be drafted this year. Ben Intendi, Luis Arise, Cattell Marte, uh, you know, Edward Cabrera, Josh Naylor. I could go on and on Alex Cobb, who I've always loved, you know, uh, a lot of guys going past pick 200 that won't even be, won't even be, I mean, maybe they'll have stretches here and there, but for the most part, they're going to be on waiver wires for the entire season. And I think what I want to do more with content, this is a side note here, is we're, we're going to wrap up soon, is focus more on those shallower leagues and talk about what I have been doing a little bit is like the last couple of rounds of your draft, where you're getting from range of about pick 200 until about pick 270, depending if you're in a 10 or a 12 teamer. And yeah. guys like Rogers, guys like Cabrera really make sense as like a last pick of your draft, because let's say it doesn't work out. You just drop them. There's tons of replacement level value there. And if it does work out, then you have a potential ace with the last pick or two of your draft. So I'm definitely in on both of these guys. I'm more in on Cabrera, I think, but uh, I'm I'm still going through pitcher ranking. So that might end up flip-flopping. But I think that they're both really good targets here as you approach like the end of your draft. Um, The last thing I really want to talk to you about is the bullpen and the fact that Matt Barnes is there now (laughs) and how how much that complicates things. Is it going to be I've drafted Tanner Scott a little bit, hoping that he'll have some saves because he's just been so cheap. How complicated is the situation now with Matt Barnes there? Um, I still think it's Floro's job to lose. He ended the year with it. I'm just going to let him. I think he keeps it for now. Barnes did show some signs of life to end last year, sub two ERA, whatever. And ERA is not great, the greatest indicator, but he did show he was just better than the second, you know, the second half, whatever, but not, he's still Matt Barnes. Um, I'm not holding my breath there. At the end of the day, I think both will factor. I think Floro gets the first shot and it gets more opportunities. But if Floro, you know, whoever doesn't get the more opportunities is the next man up. It's it's almost like you can and you can get both at cost right now, especially like in leagues where you might want to secure the bullpen. Those two, you're securing a a, a closer situation. I feel like if you're grabbing those two, I don't feel like uh, Tanner Scott's going to factor in much. He's you know kind of 
had his issues last year and he's a lefty and I don't think they're going to want to go with the lefty unless they have really good matchups in the ninth for one. So I think he's the third option at best. That's like best case scenario for him. He's the third option there. So yeah, I think it's Floro's job Barnes next up and then Tanner Scott will uh, get factored in as needed. Probably if they're facing two out of three lefties in the bottom of the ninth or something. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Now there's different projections and that's why, you know, make your own, like we said earlier, Floro, if you look into the fan graphs, depth chart projections, 16 for Floro, 7 for Scott, 9 for Barnes in terms of See, saves. It's a mess, and then, yeah. And then if you look at ATC, <laughs> it's 17 for Floro, 8 for Scott, and 2 for Barnes. So it definitely is a situation where we're not 100% sure yet what's going on. Uh, Floro at pick 266 right now. Tanner Scott, 532, and Matt Barnes. Hell, Matt Barnes is definitely worth drafting at 683 is his, is his most recent ADP here. Uh, ranging from 469 to 742. So there's definitely value to getting Barnes with your last couple of rounds in a DC. As we foray back into deeper league content, as I just said, we're about to be talking more about shallow league stuff, but that's pretty much the Marlins. They are, <laughs> what are they, Mike? They're okay. They're nothing to write home about, really. Jazz is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Sandy will be a lot of fun. Um, potentially, you guys like Segura, Garrett Cooper. You know they have Pratt. useful pieces, but not not enough to be like, oh yeah, I'm a Marlins fan. <laughs> they, yeah. For fantasy purposes, they have enough useful pieces, but like, uh, like you mentioned, like a handful of like, yeah, these guys are great. The pitching is a lot more exciting than the hitting for sure. Yeah. Though the pitching is great. Uh, you kind of have to be a Florida native to be a fan. I used <laughs> to go down to Florida on vacation there every year. I went to St. Petersburg, so I was kind of like an away nice. raised fan. I was an away raised fan, kind of. We'd go St. see Pete's games. Beautiful. This was like the Scott Casimir era race, yeah. like before they really were very good and, and into the phase where they were very good. Where, where, so were they? De- they were the double rays back then. They were still double rays. They still had those old jerseys. And then we kind of like those jerseys. I did too. And we went from like 06 to like 2012. So we, we saw some games there. Um, saw one or two playoff games in Tampa and that in that gorgeous, beautiful stadium they have over there. Um, kidding. All, all kidding there. But Mike, I've kept you. Much, much longer today than I yeah. anticipated. Uh, we've just good, been man. chatting. We were chatting for like an hour and a half before we actually got <laughs> recording here. So we essentially we could have had a bonus, could have had a bonus episode here. Uh, but I, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun, but I actually do have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> before uh, we let you go, um, anything else you want to tell the people about what you what you got going on, or if you, you covered it all pretty well, you think covered it all well, but just to replug it because I'm selfless promoting. <laughs> um mike underscore mike underscore curlin on twitter and uh don't forget to check out the the youtube G, uh youtube.com at gte fantasy obviously those are the and patreon G, patreon.com slash gte fantasy because we have a great crew there so yeah it's just a whole bunch of stuff um that's and like, my work's at the athletic fantasy pros yeah good stuff mike's all over the place he's doing great work youtube stuff in particular right now i've really been enjoying you guys should check out gte on youtube Check out all of Mike's stuff. You can find it all here at Mike underscore Curland on Twitter. You can find me at Joe Orico 99. And you can find this show at Ethos Fantasy BB. All of our other content at sportsethos.com. Be back next week. We'll look at shortstop rankings. But until then, I hope you guys have a great weekend. And we will see you on Monday. Take care, everybody.